We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Runes podcast. This is episode 239 of the pod alongside Matt Rooney. I am Joe Moose. So coming at you a little later in the week here, we wanted to uh, butt a couple pods up against each other. We are going to have a full Super Bowl preview uh, coming at you in Super Bowl preview week two. Uh, that is next week, but plenty week. to get to here as well. We will break down the conference championship. We will talk Bears staff, a little buy or sell for you. We are going to throw out a lock. We're going to give you Super Bowl locks both this week and next. Here's where we stand, 12-8 and 8 to 11-9. and 9. I have a one-game lead uh, to keep things interesting and open and to take away the chance of the tie or to lessen the chance of the tie. We're going to give you two Super Bowl picks, an early lean this week and a final pick next week. Both of them will count in the standing. So if Matt goes 2-0 and and I go 0-2, Matt wins the golf balls. 1-1, one one, we buy each other golf balls. If I win anything, it's ball game. I think that's, I think that's good math. I don't know Wait, if it's no. good math. If you go 1-1 one and, one and I go 2-0, and oh, it's a it tie? Would still be, yeah, it'll be a tie. All right, whatever. I'm going to yeah. end up hitting, I'm going to end up hitting you're, both it, of my either way, Either way, you're probably still, either way, you're still probably getting golf balls from me. Matt, how uh, are you? I'm, t- I'm doing well. Uh, uh, even though my lock of the week didn't hit, my uh, I was I was down in, in Nashville with with good friend of the podcast Taylor D watching the games over the uh, over the weekend, and we had very a nice. very successful Sunday betting those games. So even though my lock didn't hit, uh, very happy with my performance. Uh, uh, Don't you love that, listeners? Don't you love games. that when when the pick that he gives you doesn't come through? And then, it's on, honestly, and that then was he, it. he gloats about the rest of his day. Well, no, it's it's weird. It's weird how gambling works. The pick that I loved most was the Robbie Gold over. Like I, I thought there was yep. no. And he got a, he I got an early one there. He for got the early ones. Like oh, there's like we were heading towards winners. Yeah, like um, I, I, both of our total, like the, the Chiefs had 21 points at halftime with nine seconds left on the two yard line, and yeah. you what, total 31. over 30 and a half never gets home. Uh, and then I actually gave out two losing picks because I changed my pick uh, as <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, Niners over their team total. They came up four points short of that as well. But, Matt, let's dive into those two games, beginning with Cincinnati and Kansas City. Um, for me, it really, and having some time to digest it, it only galvanizes this feeling. Mm-hmm. This was the microcosm of the Chiefs' season in 60 minutes of football. This was who the Chiefs were all season long. They were uninterested. They were too cool. They were unengaged. They were laissez-faire. And it finally came back to bite them on Conference Championship Sunday. You can't forget, this is the team that started the season two and three because nobody told them that the year had begun. This is the team that did the same thing against Cincinnati in Week 17, up by 11 at half, and you end up losing uh, this time in overtime, that time in regulation. They just time and again lost focus. There is no arguing, or at least from where I'm sitting, there is no arguing who the most talented football team of the four remaining teams were in Conference Championship Sunday, and they're not playing on Super Bowl Sunday because they just struggled to stay engaged for 60 minutes of football this season. Yeah, it, it's almost like getting out to that huge lead so early was ended up being detrimental to them. Obviously, you okay. want the big, big lead. Yeah, but like, go ahead, go why? Ahead. No, no, no. I know that's what I'm why? saying. Like, I don't like, know why. You guys have played you're, you're, football. You hit it Most on the head. Most of you have like, been to the Super Bowl. You know what it takes. You know that you can't win a football game in 30 minutes. What, what, are, we, what are we doing? 
I just I, I don't know what's wrong in if there. I mean, lost focus is the absolute right way to like. It is credit Cincinnati. They played a great second half. Joe Burrow was spectacular. Their, their defensive coordinator, whose name is escaping me, called a fantastic half. But for as good of a half as he called. The Chiefs scored three points in the second half because the Chiefs got disinterested because Patrick Mahomes started missing throws because Patrick Mahomes then started to force things like they turned into the Chiefs that were, you know, like you said, two and three that people were fading to miss the playoffs, fading in the AFC West, all that kind of stuff. It it was just it was the perfect way to end what was just the most mysterious season for I'll, I'll say it. I I still think this is good. I I, I still think the most talented team in the NFL, not really all that close. I think the Rams are probably the second most talented team in the NFL, but I think at least from an offensive standpoint, there's no doubt the Chiefs are the most talented football team we have in the NFL today. And and it showed in the first half. Like I mean, it was the most efficient offense I'd ever seen. I thought they were going to drop 50. I thought this game was going to be over. I had a Bengals money line bet that I debated cashing out at like $30 because it was like, well, there's zero chance to come back from this. I might as well just recoup what I can. And then just they tried to get a little bit too cute with the Tyree kill play uh, just to end the second half there. And then they just got to be to the end zone. It has to be to the end zone. I don't know if that was a, uh, an Andy Reed play call. I don't know if that was an Eric B play call. I don't know if that was Patrick Mahomes and Tyree kill improvising how that throw is not to the end zone. I don't care how fast Tyree kill is. That's just that's inexcusable. You can't do that. You just gave a team life, and even though that life shouldn't have mattered because the Chiefs were that much better of a football team, um, just mind-boggling stuff. It was Patrick Mahomes went from looking like Patrick Mahomes in the first half to to Mitch Trubisky in the second. Like he was missing throws, he was missing easy open throws, and he was throwing interceptions. It was just it was wild to me. I've I've never seen that big of a variance in one game from really anyone, let alone Patrick yeah. Mahomes. Now, we're going to obviously give just due here to Cincinnati in a moment, but you use the word mysterious there, and mm-hmm. it is uh, – this was their – I don't want to say this was their best chance, but it's going to get increasingly harder for the Chiefs oh, yeah. because Mahomes' Mahomes' super contract kicks in next year. Kelsey's getting into his mid-30s. Tyreek Hill at some point is going to be up for payment and – He's sort of, I don't know, a speedster getting into his 30s who constantly has soft tissue issues throughout yeah. the season. Like, this is not as um, – this is very much the LeBron, Wade, and Bosch sitting on the stage. Not one, not two, not three. Well, it might just be one. It yeah. might just be one, guys. Uh, maybe two because this was your best chance um, to get to number two before that – uh, cap hell starts settling in. So we'll see what the future is for Kansas City. But the future is now in Cincinnati. Two years into the Joe Burrow reign, and they are headed to the Super Bowl. Simply unbelievable. From bags on their heads two years ago mm-hmm. to turning it around to this moment. And, you know, you, we could be reductive and say all you need is a quarterback, but that's not right. No. They, Look they at that put, offense. They put Jamar Chase out there. Let's let's send some love to Evan McPherson, who's still perfect and seems to love the moment. Mm-hmm. Joe Mixon is running the ball better than he ever has in his career. Like some of the best games of his career have come over the last month. It's T T Higgins is like the perfect complement to Jamar T. Chase. Higgins, you have the Boyd, you have the speedster deep route. Yeah, Tyler Boyd's your th- Ty, right. uh, Ty, 
Tyler Boyd's like the guy that has been in Cincinnati forever that we forgot was so good because he was in, or not so, but was good because he was Cincinnati. But mm-hmm. now that he has these guys around him, it's like, man, like he's actually really good. And that's their three. Like T Higgins, we saw use like Jamar Chase is the speed. I don't want to just call him a speedster, but he's the very fast kind of deep. Yeah, everything, yeah. T Higgins has become like, he's the big possession target, almost tight end ish out there. Like he's mm-hmm. such an, unbelievably good complimentary piece to Jamar Chase. So this, and I feel like the scary thing here is too, that the Bengals skated by in the divisional round, getting over Tennessee. It was not a great game out of, uh, out of Joe Burrow. They did what they had to do to advance to get into this moment. And I still feel like this wasn't the best effort we've seen out of Joe Burrow. Now, no. 23 of 38, 250, two touchdowns, an interception, respectable line for a second year quarterback on conference championship Sunday. I will not knock that at all, but you look at Jamar's numbers, six for 58. He was almost shut out against Tennessee. I feel like there is some, I want to call it positive frustration bubbling to the surface for that duo. They have two mm-hmm. weeks to figure it out. They have two weeks to scheme it up to try and get what, to, what, what, they, what they're going to want. Now, Jamar, the last couple of weeks, has been facing really solid defensive backs, and he's probably going to get Ramsey traveling with him again mm-hmm. all day on Super Bowl Sunday. So is he going to have a big number? I, I mean, that'd be an underplay for me. That'd be a fade for me. Ramsey did get burned against Mike Evans, so he can still stretch the field against Ramsey. It's not like, hey, no no targets, no catches. But it could be the perfect stage for a guy like T. Higgins to explode mm-hmm. again. Six for 103 on championship weekend because they were shading to Jamar the whole game. And what a what is a youthful confidence in this Cincinnati team is also highlighted by a maturity of – Nobody like Nicole Hardman running around on the sideline screaming, get me the ball. Jamar Chase mm-hmm. knows he's, he is where he's supposed to be. He knows that his quarterback's going to get him the ball when he needs to get the ball when it's the right time. Like there is a, I guess there's an unexpected, um, there's an unexpected uh, confidence and experience in a team that lacks it. You know, like they haven't been in this moment before and they act like they've been there 10 times before. Yeah. And it, I've been really impressed by that aspect of the Cincinnati Bengals, where it's not just, hey, we're going to put up 45, Burrow's going to throw for 400, good luck keeping pace. We've seen them do that already this season, and maybe they do that again in the Super Bowl. I don't think that's going to be the case. They find themselves in these big moments, tighter ball games, and still able to execute and win in other ways. It's been very impressive. Yeah, they just – they're you hit it. They, they're a very young, inexperienced team that is playing like they're – it just a veteran team that's been there a million times before. Like they, they, nothing really ever seems to phase them. They're playing in games with the exception of the Raiders game. Like they've kind of been outplayed in both of their playoff games, but they don't let themselves get out of it. They don't let themselves fall too far, far behind. They don't get into a panic and they find themselves late in a game with a chance to win. Like it feels very, and I'm not by any means saying Joe Burrow is Tom Brady, but it feels very similar to those like Patriots teams that were in those conference championship games, in those playoff games that you'd find yourselves being like, how, how are they still here with a chance to win? They've been getting their asses kicked all game. And then lo and behold, they have the ball late with a chance to go tie or a chance to go win. And that was Joe Burrow, like you said, didn't have his best game, but what struck, what, what stuck out to me that we've talked about a bunch of times that, that separate the, elite quarterbacks from the really good ones or the good ones, whatever his pocket presence mm-hmm. in that second half, like he, he didn't have his best game throwing. He was fine. He wasn't bad. He wasn't good. He was, he was fine. Did, did the things needed to win the second half. 
his pocket presence, his escapability, his feel for the pocket, when to step up, when to duck, how to, was his ability to spin out of sacks, that's what won them that football game. There were two late third downs in that second half that he somehow escaped. I think it was Frank Clark on one, Chris Jones on another, and he was able to scramble for a first down. It looked like those elite quarterbacks, the, the, the big Ben's in his prime, what Tom Brady's done, you know, in the pocket. And it's, it, it was that that's what won them that football game was Joe, Bill, Joe Burrow's calmness, escapability, pocket presence, all that kind of stuff. And that's what we're seeing in his growth, his development into an elite quarterback. That's what separates those guys is their ability to feel the pocket, then step up and either make a throw or make a run for it. And going back to your point here about this, feeling like those early teams. I know you're not making the direct comparison to Tom, but like only time will tell us what Joe Burrow is going to be, where he's mm-hmm. going to go, whether he is Tom Brady, Dan Marino, or something in between in terms yeah. of the number of Super Bowls he's going to finish his career with. He's making this first trip in year two. Uh, nothing tells me, nothing about Joe Burrow that we've learned over these last three years from him emerging at LSU to where we are today. Nothing tells me that Joe Burrow is the type of guy that's going to take this moment for granted. I feel like he is, um, in everything he says and the way that he carries himself, he's confident in his ability to execute in the moment, but he does not take the moment for granted. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that it's the perfect intersection of the type of guy you want in that moment. Yeah, I think it says a lot to it. I think it goes back to his path to get to where he is. I mean, he's, he started at Ohio State, had to take advantage of moments, didn't get a whole lot of them there, got a second chance transferring to LSU, had to take advantage of moments in his first year, didn't have a whole lot there because that team wasn't very good, didn't have that whole, whole lot of help around him, got his chance in his, senior, his, you know, his last year there and, and obviously did take advantage of the moment. He's, I think those humble being humbled a little bit in college, his path here has probably helped him in the pros and helped him understand that once you have those moments, you have to seize them. And he he did more did that more in the AFC Championship. And, and, and that's what makes me so excited about this Super Bowl is we've questioned Joe Burrow heading into a championship game before, right? Like mm-hmm. we've said, what's this? Okay, he's been doing it all season, but what happens when he goes up against X, Y, and Z? When he goes against Glenn, when he goes against – what happens when Joe Burrow gets to the moment is that you see the best version of Joe Burrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to pull up his stats here in the national title game, but it, didn't him and Jamar hook up for like 200 and something yards in that national championship? Yeah, they were. Like, I mean, the more, the farther we get from that national championship game and the more I look back on it, this, that offense was just so incredibly unfair. And like looking back now, I would have bet on LSU so much knowing what I know now, yeah. not knowing how the game ended, but knowing how Six good total those guys ended up being. 521 combined yards, a national God. championship record, third all-time passing yards in the season of 56, whatever, whatever. Just unbelievable. Just absolutely unbelievable. I mean, this was a Clemson team that, can anybody beat this Clemson team? Well, 42-25, yes, yeah, they LSU can. did it uh, quite easily. Burrow went for 463 through the air, ran for another 58, not not assuming that we'll, we'll see that again here. But, yes, it was 221 yards for Jamar Chase. So maybe maybe the big guy tries slinging a couple out there to Jamar here on Super Bowl Sunday. Um, but in terms of what they were able to accomplish against Kansas City, this is this cannot be understated. Uh, you know, there's, there's these uh, – there's these moments of relativity and a big one was last year. And we talked about it in that moment between Brady and Mahomes in the Super Bowl. 
a win there for Mahomes would have gotten him to two under the age of 25 or under the mm-hmm. age of 26, and Brady would have been stuck on six. So maybe he can still chase that ghost throughout a season. Well, instead, it's seven and one. Good luck ever catching him. This yeah. could have been the... Um, this could have been the Patrick Mahomes distancing himself from Joe Burrow saying, yeah, the throne, this, this empty throne that Tom just left, it's mine or it's Josh's, you know, Mm -hmm. we'll see what you can do over the next years. Right now, he thrusts himself straight in that conversation of the best quarterback in the game did Joe Burrow for me. And, Patrick Mahomes took a major step backwards in the way that he played in that second half. These are the these are the handful of weekends that we define your career on. And mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes in his last few career defining moments has not looked great. No, uh, I mean I, I still tend to give him somewhat of a pass for that Super Bowl last year because of just how badly his offensive line kind of let him down. But at the same time, like look at. Joe Burrow's offensive line, they didn't have that great of an effort, and they still find, found a way to give himself a chance to win, and obviously win that game in the AFC Championship. Um, yeah, I, I think you hit it on the head. Patrick Mahomes in the last two years has had his chances to really separate himself as the next guy, and the AFC is, I mean, Josh Allen's getting better every year. Joe Burrow, this is really, it's not even full-out year two because he missed so much time mm-hmm. last year and came off an AC. Like it's, it's kind of a weird tweener second year for him. There's so much quarterback. Justin Herbert's in the AFC. Lamar Jackson is in the AFC. Like There's so much talent in that a- AFC and so many good teams throughout there. Like The Chiefs are going to start getting worse because of that mega contract, and these teams with quarterbacks on rookie deals like the Bengals, they're only going to be getting better, and I, I think it just shows how impressive what – Tom and the Patriots were able to do for so long because the AFC was also chock full of really good quarterbacks and they just kept finding ways to win football games. It just seems mm-hmm. like with the exception of the year they won the Super Bowl, which we can actually get to teams that can't find out way, find ways to close games. Um, yep. Like the Chiefs are finding ways to lose uh, games they shouldn't. Three, I, I, three points in the second half. The guy almost loses it in regulation, trying to get too cute, taking a sack, fumbles it, and falls right on top yeah. of it. it. It just didn't look like the best quarterback in the world to me. It's, um, it's just it's, – it's, it's, it's the first half, it's just two different quarterbacks. Like you saw in the first half, like, holy shit, this guy is just so much better than everybody. And you saw it in the, you saw, you saw it in the Bills game in the fourth quarter, but then just – it's so it's such a variance. Like there's such a wide me, variance, and I don't know where it's coming from. Let me partially pivot here and ask you a question. Um, sure. You're assembling a team. You're going into a fantasy draft. You're assembling a team out of the current NFL talent. Pick one. One is yours. Who do you take? Contracts involved and everything. No, everyone equal contracts. I'm still probably taking Patrick Mahomes at that point. I'm taking uh, Josh Allen. That's fair. Uh, the only reason thinking, I don't take Josh and that, Allen. And that change, that changed from your answer to this current one mm-hmm. on Conference Championship Sunday. And I, I was I was long, hey, you know, it, it's still a slight edge to Mahomes. It's still a slight edge to Mahomes. Then those guys go at it in the divisional round, and it, it was the guy who played the better game didn't win the game. But we got to see Josh Allen – in that light, doing yeah. what he did on the stage against the guy that's supposed to be the gatekeeper, and then Mahomes goes and lays an egg in the second half. Like it just 
those those two games combined, I think Josh Allen's the best football player on the on, on so, planet Earth right now. I don't think I disagree with you there. I think the reason I go with Mahomes is if I'm building a franchise and all cap things are different, the way they play the game, Josh Allen has, I think, a, his style of play is going to have to change in the next couple of years because we, I mean, we talk about yeah, quarterbacks like Lamar and Vic and running backs. He's got to dial back the run, but that's also part of – he, he has a great arm. He has, an, he has an unbelievable arm, but part of what makes him so good – is his ability to run the football, his threat as a running back. Like it, it, That's not always going to be there and how you adapt to that once you get a little bit older and can't do that. I, I, like, think it could evolve, I think it could evolve to a, let's say, more athletic Big Ben. Still yeah. increasingly hard to get to the ground in the pocket and has that ability to get out and run in these younger years of his career. But as the career grows on, I'm not saying that he's going to get out of shape yeah. or that his body's going to start breaking down, but that – you know, you start being a little bit more judicious with those decisions, but that almost speaks to why I go with Allen is because he does not have a Tyree Kill. He does not have a Travis Kelsey. He does not have a Miko Hardman. He does not have well, let's not, Ste- Stephon I, not, Diggs. Stephon Diggs is great. Stephon Diggs is great. I'll raise my hand. If I'm he, Stephon Diggs is probably a more complete receiver than Tyree Kill is. Is there a yeah. more dangerous receiver than Tyree Kill? No. I'm not sure that there is. Debo Samuel raised his hand on that a little bit this year. Cooper Cup should also be a part of the conversation after his triple crown. But I'm just saying Josh Allen is asked to do everything for yeah. the football team. The Kansas City Chiefs, sometimes they say, hey, Pat, you know, we're going to – we're going to motion Tyreek. All you got to do is flip it to him. Mm-hmm. Hey, Pat, we're going to bring Travis under the formation. All you got to do is flip it to him. There's not all there. Josh Allen doesn't have those um, deferrals. Josh Allen doesn't have those. Okay. Things aren't going well. Let me just get the ball in my playmaker's yeah. hands. It's always Josh Allen making the play. So if you can mm-hmm. even, if you can even surround him with more talent, I, I don't know. I think that, I think that they're both, Fantastic. We're arguing one A and one yeah. B right now, but um, over ask the last me, ask me in three weeks, years, the answer over might the be last Joe Burrow. Two weeks, it could be. It very well could be. And I, like I mentioned earlier, but over the last two weeks, one A became Josh Allen, one B became Patrick Mahomes for me. Mm-hmm. I, um, I don't think there's a wrong answer to that one. Any uh, any further thoughts here on the AFC title game before we switch our our uh, tone here to the NFC side of things, Matthew? I don't think so. Just what a what a fun hell of a football game. All right. It was a 20-17 to 17 final in L.A. Uh, where they play the NFC title game and they will play the Super Bowl and the Rams will be at home for the second time in history. A team will host the Super Bowl on their home field, last year being the first with Tampa hosting in Tampa. Had never happened before. Now it's Wild. We get two years in a row. I don't know what's going on. The Pets' heads are falling off, Matt. But – it was a 13-point fourth quarter for the Rams. Uh, San Francisco, again, just heartbreaking in the way that they lose this football game. A lead going into the fourth. They can't get any points. They can't just, move the ball. They keep doing Kyle it Shanahan. I, I, I know, and, I, and I'm such a Kyle Shanahan fan, but he's now been a part of three of the three. most heartbreaking losses that you can ever imagine. He's an offensive coordinator in the 28-3 to game. He's the head coach with a lead in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl two years ago. And here he is in the NFC title game with a lead and uh, can't get it done. Jimmy G comes to the podium a day ago and all signs point to being it being the Trey Lance era underway in San Francisco. So this was in more ways than one, uh, the end of something for San Francisco. And I want to tip my cap to, cap to Jimmy Garoppolo, who has never been the lighted on fire guy, but 
it's a results-based business and the guy gets results. If you look at his winning percentage, he did everything that was asked of him in San Francisco. He's never going to be Joe Burrow. He's never going to throw for 450 yards and five touchdowns. It's just not who he is. But he was the perfect guy for San Francisco and the way they wanted to go about their business over the last five years. Um, we're going to see him starting somewhere else. I truly oh, absolutely. That. But in terms of the conversation regarding this game, Again, he was not enough. And it was his best it was his best playoff performance in his career. Sixteen of thirty, two thirty-two, two touchdowns and an interception. But in the fourth quarter, they needed one more out of him and they couldn't get it. Yeah, uh, it was I, I didn't realize it until after the game, but how there is not a Debo Samuel touch in the last what was it twelve minutes of the twelve fourth minutes. Quarter. Twelve it's, minutes. That's not. I, 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 mean, that's I don't know who that. On Jimmy, it's, it's it's on it's on Jimmy and it's on Kyle Shanahan. It's on, it's on Kyle, both because there they, needs to be at least one of those. Motion it, flip it to Debo. Yep. Turn around, hand it. Turn to around Debo. The, like, they, the little toss, get it to dive him. that they love running that LSU used to run all the time. Like just do that. Get him the ball. He is not only the best player on your team. He is probably the best player on that football field between both teams. And for him to not touch the ball in the last two or 12 minutes, I was going to say two minutes, is just absolutely inexcusable. I don't know. Is it Kyle Shanahan trying to get too cute? Is it Jimmy? I don't know what's going on there, but you have to find ways to get your best players the football. I mean, look what the Rams do. Like Cooper Cup, you can't tell me that every team going into a, a game against the Rams isn't game planning about taking Cooper Cup out of it. Cooper Cup still came away with 11 receptions, 142. Like, People know he's getting the ball. They still take him away. People know the Niners want to get really good the ball. Example. Figure out ways to get him the ball. That's a really good example, Cooper Cup, because we've seen in multiple games this season, especially down the stretch, teams make that concerted effort to take him away, and they do so successfully in the first half. And then you look up with, at the two-minute warning in the fourth quarter, and he's got 115 yards receiving. They just keep going back to the well. They just keep finding ways to get him the ball. And San Francisco did that all season until the final 12 minutes of the season. And it cost them because everybody's going to point to the Jaquaski tart dropped interception, and that's what everyone wanted to make a big deal out of. They had two possessions after yeah. the Jaquaski tart dro- dropped interception. That hurt. So, Don't get me wrong, but that's yes. not that's not butterfly what lost effect, them the football game. Butterfly effect. Maybe it changes the outcome of the game because you're talking about having the ball at the fifty, almost momentum. plus territory momentum. Now, <coughs> excuse me, I'm choking as well, just like the Niners did. That's okay. Um, but momentum, field position. There is no guarantee that they punch that in. There is no guarantee that they even get it in a field goal range for you to cash your uh, best bet there, Matt, with, uh, with Robbie Gold. But Jaquaski Tart cost me my best bet. Not necessarily the game, but my best bet. I, we, maybe let's – okay, well, I, I'm, I'm comfortable in saying that. that, 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 that we, can, we can agree to that one. But revisionist history is going to point back to that moment where the real thing that needs to be pointed to is what you're talking about and the inability to get Debo the ball down the stretch. Fourth and two – first, no, it's third – uh, Third and two, you run your Trent Williams pole play. Love did, that play, by the way. <laughs> they, but didn't they? Like, they didn't actually go behind Trent Williams. They did like misdirection no. with Kyle. Why? They're trying to get. They're getting, to, like, is, they're getting cute and getting to looks off. Yeah, of like that that's what that's. Teams. But like that's something that you know, like you and I can know that's coming. And yeah. Trent Williams is still going to flatten the guy he's pulling and you know pulling and kicking out. Like just run that play. Give the ball to Debo Samuel. He's going to get you at least a yard, and then you're going to be in a position to go for it on fourth and one. So that was first mistake. Mistake one, you're trying to get too cute. That was a that was a Matt Nagy, Kansas City Chiefs type play call yeah. where sometimes like, what are you, what are you doing there? Um, um, and then fourth and two, 
Kyle, uh, no, Sean McVay inexcusably makes his second challenge on that what he thought might might have been a fumble, which was nowhere near a fumble. I don't know who told him to do that, but that person should be removed from challenging well, rights. That, and that's that's the but two then, years that. Then but, after that, but, after that fourth and two, like you know what, like Kyle Shanahan, I, I don't know how you're not thinking. You know what? We're the best running football team in the NFL. We are, you know, one of the best short yardage West Coast football mm-hmm. teams in the NFL. We have all the momentum. They just wasted another. They just stupidly wasted another timeout, another challenge. We're going to run the ball down their throat right now or run our best two-point play, and we're going to end the game right now. I don't know how you don't make that decision. I know where you're at. You're on the road. You're the best running football team. You have Trent Williams. You have Debo Samuel. You have weapons on the outside if you want to do some quick little pet. Run your best two-point play or run the football behind Trent Williams and say, go get me two yards, Debo. I, I don't know how you don't do that after that situation where you had all the time to think about it. Yeah, and I think you touched on a couple important things there, one of them being that, again, the outcome can uh, can blind you to what occurred over those 60 minutes of football. And what occurred over those 60 minutes of football was Kyle Shanahan out-coaching Sean McVay yeah. again. Again, because... Because Sean McVay made mistake after mistake in clock management, in challenges, in the way that he uses timeouts. They had no timeouts for like the last nine minutes of that game. Good luck playing from behind exactly. with no timeouts. Like the fact that they scored 13 points, came back to win with no timeouts because their coach had already put them in an adverse situation. Shows you what like, big of a choke job it was. It, it really was. It really was. And I, I can't um, – you can't take away from what they did do successfully, L.A., and that is have – 200-yard receivers, I think it was 142 for Cooper Cup and like a 113 for, for Odell. Odell. 113 for Odell. Those guys, those, I mean, those guys caught 20 of Stafford's 31 completions. And that's that's what it's got to be. I mean, your tight end goes down in the first quarter in Tyler Higby, and, uh, I mean, Van Jefferson's not going to get a ton of targets. Like, mm-hmm. good luck stopping Odell and Cooper crossing each other up, running across the field at least once every four plays. They know what they do well, and they go back to it. So I, I think that – um, the game script's going to be similar. Now, like, we think of Odell, we think of Cooper Cup, we think of Higby, we think all these pass catchers, we think of Stafford spinning it all over the place. It's still a run-first football team. They were mm-hmm. unable to establish the run against San Francisco, and then they abandoned to it. They abandoned it, and that's when they started scoring points. So I'm going to be very interested to see if they stay committed to that run in the first half of the Super Bowl as well, because if they can get Akers going a little bit, if they can get um, Henderson going a little bit, like if they can get their guy, Sony Michelle, the ball yeah. and and Sony Michelle, if they can run the ball effectively on first down, then they become almost I don't want to say impossible to beat, but they become so multiple really hard to it, it, it becomes really hard to defend them. Um and I, I don't know, it was just like it, it was almost like a one plus one equals three situation where everything that occurred would tell you that San Francisco was gonna win that football game and then it just and then they just didn't. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it was similar to the AFC Championship game. Like, it, it, on paper, it's like, how did the Chiefs not win this football game? And it, the, yeah. the team that had the lead, had the big lead, figured out ways to just blow it. I mean, San Fran- the San Francisco 49ers with a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter, like, the way they run the football, the with the, the physical way they play defense, like, that game's over. Yeah. That game is over nine times out of ten. And I guess this, this was the one, but it's it, – I love I love Kyle Shanahan too. I think he's a fantastic football coach. I think he's probably uh, one of the best. Not probably he is one of the best offensive minds we have in football. But man, does he just 
he's got to figure out his demons late in football games. I, I don't know what it is, but he's he, I, he's got to figure things out. Just I don't know and how you don't get Debo Samuel the football within the last 12 minutes of the football game. We talked about how things are going to get harder on Kansas City. Things are going to get harder on San Francisco for a different reason, and that reason is your scapegoat is gone. Yep. You no longer have Jimmy Trey Lance Apple better work. Point two, you have to now you now have to speak and defend the guy who you spent three overall three first round picks for. Mm-hmm. That that becomes a very hard thing to do because expectation for a guy that cost you that much starts now. Expectation is thrust upon that individual immediately because you are a championship caliber football team abandoning the quarterback that took you to that championship game two of the last three years to go for this quarterback that you broke the bank for and you put him into a situation that's ready to win. So Trey Lance in year one, the expectation is NFC title game, see you at the Super Bowl. That's how good this team is. That's Mm -hmm. how good this team's going to be next year. And if they don't make it, it's on the quarterback. And if they don't make it because of the quarterback, it's on the general manager and the guy calling plays for him. So there's – do I expect to see uh, San Francisco on conference championship Sunday next year? 100%. But if they're not, it's on those guys, and they have have to answer for it. I mean, there's going to be be even more added pressure because they're going to trade Jimmy for to whoever, and they're going to get – what's it, 20 some million more on the books to spend. So they're going to go out and get even more. Like they're going to have probably an off season where they add a neighbor to you. Like, Oh man, like that's, that's a big ad. He's going to be great with mm-hmm. the 49ers, whether it's offensively or defensively, probably offensively to give Trey Lance some help. But Trey Lance is going to have even more, even more pressure because next year he's going, he's going to go in with a better on paper offense than Jimmy G had this year in terms of weapons around him. They, it's a, it's Debo, Debo, Debo Samuel is going to go into next. Like Debo Samuel coming into this year was a nice player that you know obviously had a breakout year. He's going to go into next year. Nobody's there's no secrets. Debo Samuel's a he top might be five the third receiver. overall pick in fantasy. Yeah, like he's he's a top five weapon in the NFL right now. People are going to know that they're going to go out. And they're going to add somebody. They're probably going to draft an, you know another running back. They're like oh that's a nice fit for them. They're going, he's going to have more weapons to work with. There's going to be more pressure. And if he doesn't. Not saying he won't, but there's going to be a lot of uh, pressure on a guy from North Dakota State who started one meaningful football game in the last three years. And I get it. Like, the road there's not going to be easy. It's not going to be, you know, that's the, that's the toughest division in football in my mm-hmm. eyes. If oh, Russ yes, is gone, then, you know, you can bake in at least one win, if not two, against Seattle into that schedule. But, like, it's not going to get easier, but at the same time, we talked about the gatekeepers of the quarterback position. The thing is, they all reside in the AFC. Like, same question here that I asked you. You're starting, uh, you're starting a franchise, drafting quarterback 1-1. Well, you can only draft him from the NFC side. Who are you drafting? Oof. From the NFC it, side. It, it just, it's just it's pretty. It's pr- that's, that's, that's the right answer. But Justin Fields. Also, that's also that's the right answer, and it's the right way to say the answer. Because yeah. it's Dak. Matthew Stafford, Tyler, probably. Sta- yeah, but you're starting a franchise. Yeah. Stafford. Oh, yeah. How much, Stafford's how 33. Much Wick, how much yeah. Wick is left there? You know, year 12, 33 years old. Like, it's the NFC is for the taking. All right? Yep. So, so when Uno comes out next year and starts speeding it all over the ballpark, then you know the NFC comes through Chicago. Different conversation, yeah. not happening. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. 
Um, Matt, what else do we need to talk about here on the NFC side? Anything, anything pertinent before we, uh, no, I, some locks out. Like, I, I just I keep thinking like we didn't do enough, like we didn't talk enough about the Rams, but like the Rams didn't like they didn't do like there wasn't they didn't do anything they really points. worth talking they about. Twenty points. They, they, they kind points. of they were allowed back into the game, and Matt Stafford made some big made some big throws to to Cooper Cup and and Odell. And good, very good for Matt Stafford. I'm very happy for him. He played a, a fine football game, and I think he's. I'm happy. Uh, obviously, Odell. at home in LA, for this guy, this guy who is eccentric who gave us so many great moments early in his career, who then dealt with two major injuries, an ACL and a broken ankle, and then comes back, does everything in his power to come back quicker than he can to go play with his buddy in Cleveland, and it's going to be this renaissance in Cleveland. And then when it starts going poorly because your quarterback's trash, they point to this guy because he's the easy scapegoat. Like, Odell, he has his flaws. He has his faults. He lives with his emotions on his sleeve, but mm-hmm. that's what makes him great. And to see him seamlessly fit into this L.A. team, and yes, um, Robert Woods going down obviously opens up that role to him. His role becomes a little bit more obvious in that sense, but yeah, it's just been really nice to see Odell go somewhere and be pointed to as a asset and not a liability. Yeah, and that's and that's how I've kind of that's how I've kind of situated it here in LA. I'm I'm very happy for him because he had a chance. This was his chance, and maybe last chance to sh- not to play in the NFL, but to shake kind of the reputation that where he went, you know, drama and stuff followed. There has been no drama. He has played second fiddle to Cooper Cup, and he's had zero problem with. He's, it. No problem he's gone with out. That. He's gone out and done his job. He's played. I, I mean, it helps having Matthew Stafford. That's really all he's ever wanted. But looking back at his quarterbacks, he played with a old Eli Manning early on Eli Manning was fine and then played with an old Eli Manning and Daniel Jones and Baker Mayfield, who we all know is, you know, not the best quarterback in the world. Good. He finally got his so quarterback shoulder, and he showed the that. Yeah, shoulder, it, that's know? what it is. That's what it is. It's definitely just <laughs> the shoulder that has been hurt for three years. Um, good, good. It's a, it's a very good story for him. Very good story for Matthew Stafford. There's, there's no shortage of good stories on that Rams team to root for. And it would be a Hollywood ending if they got that Super Bowl. And it's, I, I, you know, I'm not really rooting for anybody in that Super Bowl because both of those teams have good people to root for, have people you want to root for and have some really fun players. It's, it's a very likable Super Bowl. There's not an evil empire. There's not, you know, the, the Kansas City Chiefs juggernaut. It's just two teams that, by all accounts, have very likable people, are good football teams that really kind of both deserve to be there. You know, if L.A. gets it done, that'll be back-to-back seasons as well of quarterbacks changing cities and then winning in year one with their new franchise. I think that's uh, interesting and notable as well. Um, you got a guy like Aaron Donald who took the team – in the fourth quarter and rallied the freaking troops there at the beginning of the fourth quarter. I don't know if you saw the shot on the side of him getting the guys going mm-hmm. and like, you could tell how badly he wants this Odell. It's obvious. I mean, Cooper cup is just the silent, but deadly type. Um, Jalen Ramsey on the defensive side, he's gone through his struggles of being on bad teams. Yep. Uh, we can, I guess we can root for a guy on the outside and Leonard Floyd, a former bear, um, you know, there's there's a lot of storylines in this one, and um, I think first and foremost, Joey B, year two, getting a Super Bowl. I, I don't know, I don't know. It's just it's not the obvious matchup that we expected. No, but I think it's the but I think it's the perfect matchup for how this year played out. I think that this year, so at so many different points this year, we kind of threw our palms to the air and said, I don't know who it is. 
I don't know who's going to win it. I don't know yeah. who the best team in football is. Because every time you thought you knew the best team in football, well, they'd go lose to the Jets. Or they'd go lose to Houston. Or, um, you know, they'd be in a close one against someone they shouldn't have been. And here we are on Super Bowl Sunday with the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, that was a Mike, LA Rams. Like, conference I think championship a, I think it's weekend, a really good representation of the year. Conference championship weekend was a microcosm of exactly what we thought. It was like it was the, the two teams went out in the first half, looked good, had leads, and then – we don't know who, like, who knows who's good. The other team comes back and wins. Like, nobody wanted to go grab it. And here we are with two teams that, yeah, I, some people had the Rams probably, but, like, they definitely had their moments throughout the year. It's like, oh, maybe they're not that good. Maybe Matthew Stafford has problems. Nobody had the Bengals until maybe they came back and beat the Chiefs, and then people saw them as a dark horse. Like, you're right. This is this was the perfect, this is the perfect Super Bowl for the, to epitomize what this year was in the NFL. And it was a really fun year in the NFL. And we'll have a full breakdown, uh, props, picks, everything coming your way on our Super Bowl preview, which will be coming your way midweek next week, either Tuesday or Wednesday. i got to talk to the producer about that. Um, but uh, going to have a lot of really good Super Bowl executive content, producer. gambling, gambling, excuse me, executive producer, super producer, executive producer, Matt Rooney, um, and a lot of uh, gambling centric uh, content coming your way next week regarding the Super Bowl, because it's one last chance to make some money on some football before next fall. Uh, don't we have... USFL isn't that a thing? That is a this thing. Or Honestly, if you if you wanted to get the USFL, if you wanted to get your alternate football league off the ground, you really <laughs> should have your opening weekend this weekend. Yeah, and then I have, like a, that. have a have a bye like week that. too. But like have have it this weekend because this is the weekend where everybody's like, oh man, like this is what are we going to do without football? And this is our look into the future. No, hey, get, the se- football. Get, football. The se- get the senior bowl on Saturday. Let's tie you over a little senior have, bowl. Have you picked Have you picked a USFL team uh, that you're yet. backing? Uh, shout out to the Commanders, the Washington Commanders. Uh, I guess we do have it's to make note name. of that here. It's a fine, it's a fine I, name, I but it no reminded point. me because that was a that was a what was yeah, the, the DC Commanders ago? or something. Yeah, no, two years. The, yeah, someone was the Commanders. The AF, AFL or yeah, whatever. Yeah, AFL. Yeah, the AFL. Um, yeah, I, I bet you that this USFL goes smoothly, um, just like the other alternate leagues have. A different yeah. conversation for a different day, Matt. We will. I'm cool with new. I'm, I'm cool with new alternate leagues popping up every year. We do have to address. We do have to address all the new faces across Hallis Hall since we last spoke. We had Polsey in place, uh, but we do now have a head coach in uh, Eberflus, or Flus as we will affectionately refer to him as, and the staff has galvanized quite quickly underneath Flus. And I really like the way that things are going because there's a – there's a chain of accountability, and we're going to be able to point to if something goes wrong in a certain place, we're going to be able to point to whose fault it was. <laughs> and I know that that's sort of a, a really uh, morose way to think about football, but hey, we're Bears fans. But mm-hmm. I say that in the sense of I love that the thing that I love the least, but I still like it, is that ownership got the GM that they wanted, and I think they got a really good. And they started leaning on him, and Polian mm-hmm. wanted a certain person, and man, and ownership, and Ted Phillips wanted a certain person, and, and Poles essentially said, I want my guy, and Ibraflus is my guy, and he went out and got him. And then Ibraflus said, I want this guy to be my offensive coordinator, and he goes out and gets Getsy, and then mm-hmm. says, I want this guy to be my wide receivers coach, and I want this guy to be this, and I want that guy to be that. And I think we're even hearing chatter about um, – uh, which we call it, Basaccia coming yeah. from the Raiders to be the special teams corner. It sounds like they're assembling a lot of really good voices in this building. A lot mm-hmm. of, um, uh, to speak in generalities here, like 
football guys who lead with love. I saw a clip come out of, of uh, the new offensive line coach, him getting on his guys and like having fun at practice. Mm-hmm. It just seems like it seems like everything's going right, and that worries me. Um, but but I really but I really like the the squad that they've assembled here in terms of a coaching staff and a front office over the first. I guess, what is it, week and a half here of the uh, Ryan Poles general managing era? Yeah, I, I've liked it so far. I don't know how much of the press conference you saw, but I thought they were both fun. Like, it, again, the press conference doesn't really actually matter, but I thought everything that a lot of the things they said were, were fine, and I think the right approach. I think Ryan Poles came off as a little bit nervous, but that's fine. That's whatever. Um, I, I think one of the things like, I've been thinking about why like why this might be different, why I might like this, why this is different from the last time, because you know by all means, like, when Ryan Pace hired Matt Nagy, I think we all had a lot of similar feelings to it. I, I think what I like about this group so far is that, yeah, Ryan Poles is a, is a young wonderkin general manager, similar to Ryan Pace was, but Ryan Poles has learned under uh, Brett Veach, right? That's, that's Casey's GM. Now your guy, Scott mm-hmm. Pioli. And who's the one I'm missing? Uh, Dorsey. Uh, mm-hmm. What's the, what's, I can't remember. It's John Dorsey. Um, Matt Eberflus has coached under, he's bounced around a bunch of different places as a position coach, as a coordinator. He went over like Chris Ballard. Like, he, he's coached a whole bunch of different places. This isn't two guys that were Matt Nagy, who only ever coached with Andy Reid and the Eagles and only knew one way to do things. This isn't Ryan Pace, who only ever coached in New Orleans, uh, it was part of front office in New Orleans, and said, we're doing it this way I've, uh, under Mickey Loomis or whoever it was. Saying you know this is the one way I know how to do it. You're, you're seeing guys who have who know there's there's more than one way to skin a cat. Who have seen different approaches to different problems. And yeah, while Ryan Bowles has never been the guy that is making this, these decisions by himself, he's seen three very smart, well-respected, incredibly successful executives make decisions that, that similar to ones that he's going to come up with. It has three different approaches about it because he's even said the three guys he worked for all very good, all very different. Same thing with Matt Eberflus. He's, he's seen a whole bunch of different coaching styles, coach whatever uh, game plans, all that kind of stuff. And he knows what what, what, might, what might work for him, what might not, what what's worked in the past. And there's just there's different ways to go about it as opposed to the last regime is I know one way of doing things, and if that doesn't work, mm-hmm. what the hell do I do? No, that's uh, I think that that's a, that's really well said. Um, and you know, like in anything else, new is new brings upon this optimism. And we were five years ago optimistic about the uh, Matt Nagy, uh, Ryan Pace, Mitch Trubisky. I guess we weren't as optimistic about that at any point other than year two. But um, you know, it, it's time will tell how we remember these guys. And I, it's a really good group, but good guys got to win football games. And I think that mm-hmm. they've assembled a good group to do that. I think they've assembled a good group to develop our quarterback. Um, obviously front of the brain here with Getzy, Matt is, uh, you know, that was, that was sort of 12's right hand over there. They yeah. were both, both of their biggest offensive voices. Does that point to you being, uh, everybody kind of knows Rogers is leaving town or are they going to try and spin it and say, Hey, Aaron, it's your offense. We'll let you hire whoever you want. We'll let you call the plays. We'll let you draw up Devontae's contract for him. Like, do you see them going that direction, or is this essentially an admission that a new day has dawned in Green Bay as well? I think that's their offer. To, that's going to be their offer, the way they pitch it to Aaron to stay. 
But no, like you look at the jobs that people left for. Nathaniel Hackett left to be a head coach. If you're offered to be a head coach, especially a team like Denver that's looking for a quarterback that you and your head think, hey, maybe I can get Aaron Rodgers to come here. It was close last year. Um, that's That makes all the sense in the world to me. And if you are uh, Luke Getze, like, yeah, you're, you're going to be the offensive coordinator in Green Bay, but like, you don't get to call the plays. You don't know if you're going to be with Aaron Rodgers, but you're kind of an offensive coordinator in name. And while you still can get named a head coach, get a head coaching job doing that, like mm-hmm. going to be a head coach for a team that where you're, you know, has a defensive minded guy, or, sorry, not head coach, an offensive coordinator for a team with a defensive minded head coach, where you're actually the head coach of the offense, where you get to work with a quarterback. Obviously he has to think highly of Justin Fields if he took the job. Um, with a quarterback that you think you can work with, that you know you can work with and mold, like that's probably the more intriguing offer to me at least. So while it mm-hmm. it very well could be an indicator that they think Aaron's gone, but no, I don't think it means like oh he's gone for sure. I think the Packers will still pitch it to him like hey, you can tell us who you want, we'll go get them. You can run the offense, you can call the plays at the line. I don't care, just come back. So I, I don't think it necessarily means a ton in terms of whether or not he's here or gone. Um, it's a, it's going to be a warm handshake of a schedule for, for this new regime. Like, yeah, I'm not saying that there's a pressure to succeed in year one because they obviously are dealing with some cap constraints and, uh, certain major decisions that need to be made in terms of this roster. But we get the NFC East as our crossover division next year. Um, if 12 leaves the division, the North is terrible. Like everything but the NFC West is going to be garbage if Aaron Rodgers leaves the North. Like, the North's going to be wide open. There's not a good team in the NFC South with nope. Peyton leaving. That um, division might have a seven-win always The East is always just everybody's 500. Like, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm optimistic, which is not something I've said uh, about the Bears in the, a very the long schedule, time. The schedule helps. <laughs> the schedule helps a lot. They, and it, we, and it, the schedule did not help this year. The schedule was a murderer's no. row this year. So, um it's uh, it's good things happen to those who wait, perhaps, and we've been waiting long enough. So here's to hoping for some good things uh, moving forward here with the Bears, Matt. You got anything else you want to get to there, Bears, before we dive into some buyer cells and some early locks? Oh, I don't know if you did. You see Ryan Poles' quote about the offensive line and stuff that was going viral yesterday about how like um, about Tevin, what, like basically about Tevin, Tevin Jenkins, yeah, basically about how he's going to love Tevin Jenkins <laughs> and how uh, Bears captain Jermaine Effetti probably not going to be back with the team next year. I just yeah. I, I love that mentality, and I I, I think I, I don't know how he's going to be able to build a full roster. We'll see that, but I I think he's going to be able to build an offensive line. And if you have Justin Fields, that's pretty darn important. So I'm excited to see what he does there. And uh, you know, you build it from the inside out. And I know from face to face conversations I've had with Scott Peely that that at least under his regime was the tried and true method. You mm-hmm. build it from the inside out. You draft it from the inside out. You develop it from the inside out. You build depth from the inside out. We'll go get receivers. We'll go get running backs. We're going to figure things out. As is evidence in a guy like Khalil Herbert, there's value in late rounds to go get some some nice weapons and toys for uh, for Justin Fields to play with. Cole Komet needs to take a big step forward in his development next year, but you have a tight end on this roster that we expect things of. Uh, mm-hmm. You have a couple wide receivers out there. Like it, they're not without talent. So the focus in 
in talent acquisition and development needs to be that offensive line. I completely agree with you there. I'm be, I'm be very intrigued to see what route they go with, uh, with, with adding a wide receiver this summer, be, yeah, this summer because there's going to be a whole lot of options. I, I don't, Devontae yeah. Adams is going to be too expensive for the most likely and probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense to throw But Who knows? Maybe it does. If he wants to play with Luke Ketsy, if he wants, oh, that's great. But like, Calvin Ridley is probably going to be out there for a trade. You don't have a ton of picks, but there might be ways to get creative there. Like there's, there's going to be options with receivers. Got to make sure he wants to play football. Got yeah. to make sure that <laughs> you do. As a guy who drafted him, I believe in the second or third round of the fantasy playoff. Yeah. Get, fantasy fair enough. Make sure he wants to play football. But like that's, that's a name that's but no, probably going to be point. out there. To your point, Devontae, there's, like, there's, there's going to be some guys out there and the bears are yeah. going to have to be pretty, pretty aggressive and going, who knows, maybe with a new regime and a new offense, Allen Robinson likes the idea of staying here. I, I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily a hundred percent close that door because his yeah. price tag has probably dropped quite a bit after his last couple of years. There's going to be options. I'm, I'm very intrigued to see who they get to play beside Darnell Mooney because clearly Fields and Mooney have developed a really good chemistry and Mooney's a very nice player, but he can't be your bona fide number one. You need another guy opposite him. Definitely. Uh, Matt, let's jump into some early locks here. Super Bowl 56, we're offering an early lock. Early lock and a late lock. A, and then a late lock. Uh, both will be counted into the standings. Again, I sit at 12 and 8. Matt sits at 11 and 9. Respectable percentages, I must say. Yeah. I mean, the Sharps, proud are, always aiming, the sharps are always aiming for that 60% threshold, 61% to try and make some money. It's where we find ourselves. So let's get to a pick here, Matt. You look at the board. The first thing that jumps off at you is what? Um, I am going to take Joe Mixon's under, I think, 64 and a half yards rushing. Uh, okay. Joe Mixon's a very valuable member of that offense, but I, I think he's a little bit, he's become a little bit more. They've straight, they've gone more to the passing game in the playoffs because that offensive line down the stretch has not been very good. And because they've had to kind of come from behind at times and, and, and keep up with some teams. Joe Mixon, since week 13, has gone over that 64-and-a-half-yard threshold twice, uh, once against Baltimore in that blowout win late where he had 65 yards, and then he did go over against KC, but it took that big run in overtime to get him there. So with how that Rams defense, that front seven, has given teams just absolute nightmares as of late, I'm not sure the Bengals are going to be able to establish a run. I'm going to take Joe Mixon's under 64-and-a-half. Yeah, I think I kind of like a correlated play there, too, in – uh, Joe Mixon over receptions. I played that in the AFC title game. We did yeah. up one reception short there, but uh, they are finding other ways to get him. Yeah, he's become more of a factor in the passing we, game. Yeah, if you're going to play that one under, definitely zone in on the rushing number and not the total yards number. For me, my early lock of the week is going to be the tried and true first half under. First half under 23 and a half is like the it. number here. That's saying we get three touchdowns and a field goal in the first half. Super Bowl tight, long warm-up, yes, somebody's going to take a shot, somebody's going to try and make the big play, and that will likely decide whether this goes over or under, uh, whether that play is successful or not. But we've been playing it all season, first half mm-hmm. under the total. It's cashed more times than not. I love that play here with all that comes with a Super Bowl Sunday, under 23.5 in the first 30 minutes of football. Okay, so under 64.5 yards rushing for Joe Mixon, under 23.5 first half book it. those those are your early locks we've been good uh, this Matt, year people i think you can have, book it yeah uh do we have any mailbag here any buyers we got we, we have a couple mailbags sitting in the hopper one is a more fitting question for next week to lead hopper. into the super bowl and then the other okay. we're gonna it's, it's a golf related one that we're gonna wait on 
until I don't even want to think about it, but until we don't have football left to talk about. Okay. Uh, so let's get into the buy ourselves. Yeah. I'll go, for, I'll go. I'll go. Sound, because I know the, I know the one I'm getting asked, and it makes me sad. But I'll ask you first because uh, okay. this one makes me sick for another reason. Bryson DeChambeau got offered reportedly 135 million dollars to be the face of the Saudi, uh, mm-hmm. the new Saudi Golf League Tour, whatever the mm-hmm. hell you want to call it. Uh, buy or sell, he takes it, or anybody, or if not, what's your biggest name that you know might take it? I buy it. I think he's taking it. That's. That's literally so much money. That's literally I could fulfill this contract and never do anything again for the rest of my life. I'm not sure that that's Bryson's uh, prerogative. I'm not sure that that's his motivating factor is money. But you put that in front of him, he is already a guy who sort of sticks his nose up at the general public in the sense that he doesn't really care what people think. I think he deeply cares what people think, but he tries to almost like fade himself in mm-hmm. at times. Like he's, he wants to be so adamant about not caring what people think. And this yeah. would be another way for him to say, screw you guys. I'm Bryson. I do what Bryson wants. Um, even though he'd go over there and take the oil money and it would be sketchy and he would be representing uh, a less than savory ownership group or, or yeah. whatever you want to say, their lead group. It's a good um, way of putting it. I, I think that uh, I think that he does take it at the end of the day, though. I think that uh, money talks, and Bryson always listens. So I think that he is going to be the face of the the Saudi Golf League. Yeah, I mean, if you're him, just take the 130. I'm not sure how many years it's over, but take it. Go take their money. Go win a ton more over there. And then, if you want to come back to the PGA Tour when you're done with that, there's probably going to be nothing stopping you other than having to go get a tour card, which would be quite easy if you're Bryson. So yeah, he pr- he probably takes it. I would. It's 135 million dollars. The um, only the only question I would have is, is that what sponsors would he lose over yeah. it, and how much are those sponsors paying him? But it's not 135 million dollars. I'm I wondering. Uh, yeah, I'm wondering how Phil figures <clears throat> in all of this because I think he was one of the names that they were trying to come in. Oh, I think Phil is desperately trying to get them to invite him. Yeah, <laughs> I and, think Phil wants in. He's come out and even yesterday made some public comments, uh, pretty damning public comments about the tour and the revenue yeah. share and the greed and Brooks commented on the post saying, I'm not sure greed is the right word to be using if I'm Phil. So there's some, there's some drama here on the PGA tour as we, uh, as we head in deeper into the season, it's going to be a, a lot of fun to watch. Now we'll see if we're watching Bryson in, in Saudi Phil's going Arabia. to take that. If Phil's going to get offered, take it with the one caveat that he gets a chance to come back and play the U S open every year. Yeah, I think that that's. I think that that makes sense. I, I don't know. It's. Uh, I don't need another. Here's the thing. Much like the UFC, the PGA Tour, while there are other leagues, has a complete monopoly on the sport. The NFL, mm-hmm. the MLB, the NBA. What what secondary league, or even in in terms of collegiate, what secondary level gets the exposure and gets the eyeballs that the top tier league does this Saudi golf league is going to be, I I don't think it succeeds. It's going to be around for however long it's going to be around and then it's going to go away. And we're going to think back and say, you remember when Bryson took nine figures to disappear for a year and a half? Mm -hmm. That disappear is probably a bad word for me. Uh, I hope he doesn't disappear there (laughs) because 
that can happen. People tend um, to do that over there. Yeah. So uh, I don't I hope know. they're not listening to this that, podcast. I think that this is a uh, I think that this is a a short term problem. But uh, if Bryson has any sense about him, he'll say thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to go make that nine figures here stateside. So I don't yeah. know. We'll see how it plays out. But I do think that he he takes it. It, it would not surprise me. Mm-hmm. Matt, I have a buy or sell for you, and it's simply yeah. buy or sell the franchise Rocky Wirtz. I, I, uh, I, Rocky Wirtz doesn't the, have to sell the franchise, but he needs to step away as chairman and all that stuff. Because okay. I, Go on. I think, his, I think his son, Danny, has handled things fairly well since all of the Kyle Beach um, mm-hmm. uh, lawsuits and stuff came to light. Like I, I think him and now President Jamie Faulkner, while they might not be the best suited people for their jobs, or I, I don't know that for uh, – for certain, but like I think they've done some pretty good in building up, you know, the approach to how they're going to change and building up goodwill and all that kind of stuff and doing all the right things since then. And doesn't matter anymore. It's it's all thrown away. It's all done. It's all gone. Can you can you offer some uh, can you offer some background here for those who did not see? The if you haven't comments. seen it, it's almost yeah. it's Jesus. But it seems like just about everybody has. Um, yeah. Last night, the Blackhawks held a town hall um, meeting, whatever for for the media. Basically, ask us about any ask us anything um, about the where the franchise <laughs> is going. Except what we don't want you to ask. I mean, it looked it looked terrible. Uh, yeah. I don't know if the question was addressed specifically to Rocky or if Rocky just uh, I don't think it was. It. Rocky I, was like, I'm going to take what, this one. I agree, which is what made it worse because then Danny tried to jump yeah. in and stop him. Uh, Mark Lazarus, uh, and I, I actually think Mark Lazarus asking the question factored into the response a little bit because him and the franchise have butted heads for quite some time, and he's mm-hmm. passed up no opportunity to take shots at them and then rip them and rip the front office for every chance he can. Um, but he asked about you know what the, the – team franchise is doing going forward to ensure, you know, things like the Kyle beach situation never happen again. And Rocky Wartz just completely snapped at him, went off, said, we're not, we're not talking talk about, about that. that. It's in the past, all that kind of stuff. We're talking about the future. Um, I, I don't live. If I were uh, Mark Lazarus's response to that too, was a little bit much, but then Phil Thompson of the tribune kind of followed up with a question about it. Rocky snapped at him too. Uh, Danny Wirtz, who's now the CEO, Rocky's son, tried to step in and, you know, calm his dad down and take the question himself. Rocky wouldn't let him do it. The video is all over Twitter. If you want to go find it, it's very easily readily available to find. Um, and then later in the night, they released some half-assed statement through PR to uh, to apologize. And then apparently he apologized to Mark Lazarus and Phil Thompson through an email forwarded by Jamie Faulkner. Um, not, not like those guys were in the press box that night that you couldn't have gone up there or had someone bring them down to your office and personally apologize. Couldn't do that. Could you? Um, but yeah, that guy who's gone from hero 10 years ago, 12 years ago to just, I, I the, the reputation is just completely flipped and I, I, I haven't seen something faster. It was just ridiculous. I, I, if I were his son, I would be livid. And honestly, I'd be threatening to step down. And if I were Jamie Faulkner, who's the president of business operations, I don't know if I can get that job with a, that job on that same level with another team right now, because this is their yeah. first go at it, but I'm looking for something else. I, that's, this place is toxic, a team looking for a new general manager. Who's going to want to cut like that just set the franchise back even farther. Um, and it was, it's truly it amazing. Very, very how- bad day. It's truly amazing when you think where this franchise was five years ago to six years ago um, to where they are today. They were the pinnacle model franchise of the NHL yeah. 
five years ago, seven years we ago. Remember the Sports Illustrated, the team that saved the franchise that saved the NHL. That mm-hmm. was like that was what it was made out to be, and here they are, um, one of the bigger black eyes on the league right now. Yeah, it's uh, just shocking where it's gone, and it's I don't know. It's, it feels like 2003, 2004 all over again, and probably even a little bit worse than that because, you know, they're wasting the back ends of two you know, two yeah. franchise legends' careers. And the, the on-ice stuff comes secondary to what their uh, appearance, reputation, all that stuff is off the ice. I don't think it'll ever happen, but the only way to take a positive step towards fixing this is Rocky Wirtz either stepping away for a while or just completely stepping down as, as the chairman and CEO and giving it to Danny. Uh, I think Matt, he's just chairman. Do. I think Danny's CEO, but whatever. You we I mean? always appreciate your uh, point of view and your thoughts on the Chicago Blackhawks as they uh, try and clean up whatever mess that they just created here. Uh, do you have anything else for the people as we uh, send them out here? Episode 239 of the Moose and Roots podcast. Um, some good hockey news. I good won my, news? I won my uh, the the Olympics Open last night. I won my first mm-hmm. uh, Olympic hockey bet. I had the Canadian hey. women, women's hockey team minus five and a half against Switzerland. They were twelve to one. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> nice little win for me. We're, we're starting Matt's, out with a starting Matt's out with bonus a lock. Matt's bonus lock of the week: laying five and a half in a hockey laying game. Five and a half on women's we Olympic love hockey. We Nailed love it. it. Uh, Matt, as always, we appreciate you here on the Moose and Runes podcast, episode 239 of the pod. Again, hit us up on Twitter, at Moose and Runes. We're going to get into those mailbag questions in the coming weeks here as things uh, wind down in the NFL season. Again, big Super Bowl preview coming at you next week. A lot of prop picks, game picks, and our final lock of the week. You will not want to miss it, but for now, he is Matt Rooney. I am Joe Musso. Matt, say goodbye to the people. Later. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. (laughs) Chicken on the steak was phenomenal.